How's everybody doing? Welcome to another episode of the Men's Wellness Collective podcast. We are the Men's Wellness Collective, here to support men on their mental health and wellness journey. As always, my name is Jordan Lewis. This is my good friend, Dalen Bernie, my other good friend and co-host, Caleb Adegoke. And we just want to start off by saying happy mental Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, November is Men's Mental Health Awareness Month. And in honor of that, today we're going to have a conversation that's a little bit different than what we typically do. Um, not going to be a whole lot of education on this one. We're going to talk about uh, our personal experiences with therapy and, and dive a little deeper into our own mental health journeys um, to kind of model that and kick off this month of November in the right way. So before we dive in, gentlemen, how are we doing? Dalen, how are you? Doing well. I actually had my own therapy this morning, a couple sessions, so doing well. <laughs> what really, a time. Really, yeah, really time stepping up and show, leading by example there, Dalen. Yes, yeah. Uh, happy coincidence. I love, it. I love it, man. I love it. Caleb, how are you? I um, will display some honesty and uh, bravery in uh, showing that you don't always have to be okay. I'm going through it in a weird way. I am experiencing insane amounts of just like success in some areas of my life while also feeling like I'm trying to bail water out of a sinking ship that has a like a giant cannon sized hole with a fork. <laughs> so I'm going through it. Here's the thing. The ship is still staying afloat. So something I'm doing is working, but it still just feels like I'm up to my like up to my shoulders in the waters. And it's terrifying because I use that analogy because A, I can't swim, B, I hate cold water, and C, being stuck a ship with no way to save yourself is like one of my worst nightmares. So in the midst of life being as difficult as it is, I'm still having areas that seem really, really well. And that's a complex way of saying I'm going through it, but I'm making it. Appreciate your vulnerability, man. Your honesty. I think uh, what a good way to kick off the podcast, right? To kind of <laughs> talk about like, yeah, the, it, that that is real. Um, mm -hmm. Oftentimes, I think that it's rare that everything's going good in every area. And it's, I think, also rare that everything's going bad in every area for most people, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much context when it comes to work versus, you know, romantic partnerships versus family relationships, friendships, our spiritual life, our physical lives. And so, yeah, I appreciate you kind of maybe teeing up a conversation for us to start off with this idea of, like, what do we do when some things some areas, some realms of our holistic being are going really well, while others feel, you know, really overwhelming, sometimes debilitating. And maybe you could start us off with like, how are you managing that? How do you how do you balance the scales? Yeah, I think it's 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 just that it's a balancing act of taking stock of what's really going on. Being honest in every area of my life, like, okay, what's going well in this area? What's not going well? 
is this something that's fixable or is this something that needs to be um, let go of? Is this something that is life-giving or is it something that's draining me? If it's life-giving, okay, why is it life-giving? Hanging on to that. If it's draining, why is it draining? Is it because, oh, it's just a busy season at work, it's a busy time of year, everything else is going. That might not be something I can change. I have no control over that. But what areas do I have control over and how can I influence those areas? Um, so taking honest, I think that's key number one to being, um, if we're gonna if we're gonna be practical, I think one of the things we've always strived to do is prevent is is provide both the theoretical and the practical for our listeners. Is if we're gonna be practical about helping men deal with their mental health, particularly in Men's Mental Health Month, how do you actually address your mental health issues? I have been doing that by one being honest about what's going on in my life. What is like okay, this is going on. What's going on here, honestly? is do, Am I feeling this emotion because I'm running away from something? Or am I feeling this emotion because it is the actual signal? We've talked about emotions being signal, like anger being a signal for, for injustice. How do you fix it? Um, so certain areas of my life, like I'm angry at myself because I'm not doing this. Am I angry at myself because like there's an actual injustice or... I'm angry at myself because I'm, I'm, I'm not living up to some perceived notion of success. That's one of the things that's kind of like been bogging me down is like, am I, am I doing what am I supposed to be doing successfully? Okay, how do I define success? Is that realistic? Is it imagined? Am I magnifying the problems versus minimizing my successes? that's an honest and hard conversation I had to have this week in therapy. So number one, yeah. I'm being honest with myself. Number two is I'm facing the problems as they arise, as opposed to stuffing or um, minimizing or ignoring altogether. I may not face them in the moment right there and then, but I'll like use what we call as therapists, the container theory, right? In my mind, I imagine a container, a safe, a, a impenetrable box. Something happens, and in the exact moment, I'm not able to deal with it. All right, I put it in that imaginary box, and I put the box away. And then when I get to a place where I feel physically, emotionally, and rationally safe, then I pull out the box, I open the box, I bring out the problem, and I address the problem then. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I related to some of what you're saying of like kind of like living up to the ideal that like you have set for yourself. Like there's some standard and sometimes it's taking a look as like, is this achievable? And like, why do I have this high standard of myself? What am I trying to prove to myself or someone else? You know, a lot of times it can be overcompensating for some kind of insecurity or something from your past. Um, I know a lot of my own work is kind of being nicer to myself in a short um basically what we talked about today was like i always called you know the college version of myself like my idiot part like it's just he made all these mistakes he did all these things and like there was some shame and regret around that but you know i talk about that and i verbalize that and i believe that and then but that part of me is still there and it's like dude, like we tried like i got you through college like there was all these other great parts it's like sometimes learning to be nice to yourself 
and forgive yourself for, you know, making a mistake because we all do it. Yeah. For you, Dalen, that, that resonates with me. Um, it's been, it's been one of the, one of the pillars of my work is just like how I give myself grace, right? Um, how I, how I set my own standard for myself rather than adopt the standards that maybe the world had on me or maybe at one point that a coach or a parent had on me, right? And in that process, you know, you, I try to work on being able to let myself mess up or let myself relax even, you know? Yeah. Um, for you, I, I was curious, like, what do you think your uh, – I've, my therapist over the years have has helped me to realize that any way we treat ourselves served a purpose. You know, for mm-hmm. me, the intense pressure and lack of grace or forgiveness that I would have for myself, I was using that as fuel to strive, right? And in my mind, it's like, well, if I'm really, really hard on myself, then I will be motivated to achieve. And that, like, kind of works, Right, but it's really heavy at the same time because when you do fall short, that feels sometimes even unbearable because you know, like, ah, I'm going to be harder on myself than anyone would be and maybe what's even logical. Mm-hmm. So, like, for you, what was your not niceness towards self serving or, like, what yeah. was the purpose of it? I think, because I talked about before, I was like, I didn't, I knew, I took a look at who I was and I didn't like who I was. So I think that was the easiest way to separate who I wanted to be from maybe who I was. So it was like, if I shame and shun this part and get as far away from this as I can, I can grow into something better. But then, you know, nine years later, it's like, oh, that part's a little angry and it feels like resentful towards me. And it's still there. And I didn't bring it with me in my journey. I just told it to go away and you're an embarrassment. But the good thing about it now is I can actually go back and say, like, hey, I'm sorry that I was mean to you. And, like, look at all this growth we made. You played a part in that. Because even though, you know, this part, you know, you know, maybe did some things that I regret, it still did also some good. Like, it made me social. It got me into this work. Like, this is where I kind of grew up. So it got me through, like, a really hard period of my life. And so it was good. But I you know, shamed it and is the only way I knew how to get rid of it, you know, and had I been in therapy or talked about this with someone else, we might've been able to figure out a healthy way to do it. I just found an unhealthy way that was very easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, very similar. Something my therapist helped me realize was picturing the parts of myself that I shame the hardest as like the little boy versions of me, mm-hmm. you know, like how would how does how would that version of me like to have been motivated? Yeah. And oftentimes it was like, well, he would have loved to have heard like, hey bud, you're doing even when you mess up, like you're doing your best and you're doing a good job and keep it up. Like words of encouragement yeah. are how we know how to like lift up children. Mm-hmm. And yet our child parts were like you suck, go away. And, you know, when you picture like yourself saying that to a child, it's kind of like, ooh, yeah, maybe I can, maybe I can develop a different, <laughs> different pattern here. Yeah. I, I definitely feel like I, I agree and resonate with both of the things that you guys are saying. I think 
in my therapeutic work in doing IFS, internal family systems, which is a way of saying that, you know, you break yourselves into, as we've been saying, our child selves, our younger selves, picturing ourselves at certain points in our life when pitiful things happened. Um, for me, there was a big, there was a big point in my life where I felt like performance and like living up to the expectation was how I would get affirmation and recognition and I tied affirmation and recognition with love and acceptance. So it's just like when I would do bad, when I, when I thought I was actually legitimately doing my best and feeling like I was doing my best, the message was your best is not good enough, which then turned into I'm not good enough. So my younger self with not feeling like I, with feeling like I'm not good enough created what I call ideal Caleb. Um, ideal Caleb is nuts. Homeboy is 6'2". He still has a hairline. He's got a, he looks like Michael B. Jordan, wears an ash gray Armani suit with some Tom Ford pinstriped socks and like bright, shiny, like wingtips. Ideal Caleb somehow manages to walk into every room and give everybody else what they need. Ideal Caleb is an idea that is unachievable. But in my head, I truly believed that I was one day working towards becoming that version of myself. That version of myself was an idea, was a construct that I created that I could chase for forever. But being able to deconstruct the fact that ideal Caleb is never really himself because he's always what somebody else wants him to be was, I think, one of the biggest turning points and changing points in my healing journey and my understanding journey. Because now I could just be Caleb. Sometimes it's easier to be Mookie. Sometimes it's, 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 sometimes it's better to be Mr. Adego Okay. That's the weird one, because <laughs> in my head, that's literally everybody else in my in my family. That's pops. That's my uncle. That's everybody else. That's not me. But to like walk in to feel comfortable and walk in situations where I am referred to as Mister Adegoke and understanding what that means, the weight that carries, and letting go of some of that weight because it's not my weight to carry. That's 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 tough work, but good work, yeah. necessary work. Yeah, because I imagine like that ideal version of you has been built up over years and decades of like, this is what I need, and you're piecing it together. And so it's like you worked hard to pick up that ideal version of you, and then, then to suddenly go like, I have to let this go. Like, I can't chase this anymore, despite the years and effort that I spent building it up. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. go ahead, go ahead, Jordan. I think you're heading in the same. I think you're heading in the direction I was gonna head, but I, you always have a very interesting perspective of the way I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of things. So go ahead. I'll I'll say what I'm thinking, and then if because I think where I'm going may take us somewhere else. But if there's a, a bow you want to put on that, please do. But something that I was thinking about as you were talking, and then Dalen, your question, I think, uh, or maybe more so your observation, really like drilled at home for me i think it'd be good for our listeners to hear like in therapy i think the popular culture thing is always like everyone who goes to therapy always talks about the growth and the good stuff and like yeah it's great and 
that's all true. Like on the other side of it and the things you gather from it um, are good. But I think if we're not careful, when we're always talking about the growth and the things we're getting from it and not addressing the really hard shit and the things that we have to let go of parts of ourselves, parts of our belief systems, like whatever the case might be through the therapeutic process, I think we give uh, this like rose colored glasses view of it, right? So what I was going to say is maybe it'd be cool for us to talk about like what have been some of the hardest learnings, like the, the toughest realizations about ourselves or our lives and the hardest things to that we had to let go of throughout our healing journey. So if that takes you somewhere completely different, Caleb, finish your thought first. Yeah. Then I'd love to. Yeah. Um, I, I'll tie, I'll tie the two. I, I think you're absolutely right. The Some of the, some of the best work and some of the best growth comes out of the difficult process and the difficult phase of working through letting go of things that you've held on to. It may be letting go of ideal Caleb. It also may be letting go of the version of yourself that your parents want you to be in order to be your truest self. It may be that like you want to be something that you think you want to be, but in fact, you're just running from yourself. That's a little bit confusing. So let me break that down a little bit. You're acting and behaving in a way that you think is true to you. But actually, you're just acting out. We talk about kids acting out because it's not that they're really upset because like they want the Lego, but because they can't have the Lego, they start acting out. Oftentimes, as adults, we act in ways, and that's, it might not even be detrimental to like, like we're not going to, I don't want to get into like, always acting out means you're, you're, you're doing destructive things. It may just mean like, you are doing things that you don't actually believe in to maintain what you think is important to you. So someone might say, okay, I actually value and want to be someone who creates a lot of change in my environment. But on the day-to-day -day basis, what you are doing is living and behaving and acting in a way that maintains the status quo. So you might have to let go of the things that you're doing that, and actually then facilitates change. Mm -hmm. But once you do that, we've talked about family systems because you're falling because you're walking away from a role that you've played. It might cause it might cause pushback and reaction from the family system, the relational system, um, friendship groups. And it gets really hard to follow through. It really gets it gets really hard to follow through on the change. And that's what that's how people end up saying, oh, it took a lot of pain but like the growth is what happens from that yeah yeah good segue good segue dalen do you have anything that comes up for you uh uh i'm sitting here trying to think of like letting things go like in my work and i think mine's been more related to telling myself that i'm even good enough in the first place so not even like letting something go like an ideal version like Caleb, but being like who I am is good and worthy of speaking up for my values and my experience and my feelings. Like all of that matters. Because um, I think, you know, we always hear those messages as boys of like man up, get over it, white necklace. So it was like I had these things going on inside and I never thought that it mattered. 
like no one cares no one wants to hear it and so it was just i just shut down and just i was the fun guy you know i was always there for a good time because it was like that was the only thing that mattered for me so now it's kind of like taking maybe letting that part of me go of like okay i don't need to be that anymore because i have this deep vulnerable emotional side of me that is important and is real and people can relate to it and it does matter um i think that's been the bulk of my work i think for me uh i can it's crazy i i can viscerally remember some like my therapist asking some of the hardest questions or revealing to me like could be that this right there's been a number of moments that really like i wanted to just shut the laptop because we were meeting virtually like i wanted to just shut the laptop and be like no you did not just tell me that or you did not just ask this because now i have to sit with the fact that like damn you're right like this is what it is this is what's going on um I, I think one of the hardest ones for me was, I think it was around this time last year, um, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to my therapist about being frustrated with work and being frustrated with, you know, kind of like this work that I was doing that we're doing, and at times feeling the sense of, um, it's just like drops in the ocean, right? Like. Yeah, I'm sitting there with one person, but then you look around the world and you're like, you know, how much is changing on a grand scale? And that becomes really frustrating and, you know, disparaging and hopeless. And I'm using all these terms, not even realizing kind of what I'm saying. And she goes, it sounds like, you know, you're, there's, you're discouraged. It sounds like there's a lot of hopelessness in what you're saying. And I go, yeah, sometimes it just feels like nothing matters. Like, it's never enough. And she goes, have you ever wondered if you're depressed? And I'm like, it was like a mm-hmm. punch to the jaw of like, oh, if I had a client using this, these phrases and speaking in this way to me, I'd be saying like, oh, yeah, this is like. <laughs> you're you're feeling hopeless you're feeling helpless you're feeling like nothing matters and i had to sit with that one for a minute to be like damn i can't run from that feeling anymore i can't minimize it and push it down yeah um yeah so that that was one for me that i can remember as a standout moment to be like yeah i was going through it during that time yeah i, I was minimizing it in my own way so yeah i remember something very similar happened to me and it was around just like i remember what we were talking about my therapist goes do you have control issues (laughs) i remember i was doing one of these i set up on my I don't I'm not a control freak. I don't have issues letting go of of damn. <laughs> I, might, I might have issues with control. But like I was so averse to labeling myself as like this thing. I think that's one of the big things. I don't know if you guys experience it, but like like 
I was so adverse to labeling myself as having one particular problem or like issues with control was the biggest one for me because I, I remember walking out of my therapist's office that day pissed. I'm like, what is he? What is what is he talking about? Issues with control. I don't have any control issues. I'm not a control freak. I know control freaks. I'm not. I'm not like them. We mm. externalize the things and say, okay, I'm not like this person I know, so therefore, I I definitely don't do that. But the reality is like, this it's the same. It's the same topic, the same issue. It just presents differently. And once I was able to like come back to the therapeutic space, come back to the therapy room, I was like, damn, you're right. I think I might have an issue with like wanting to control the outcome because having because what's really there is fear fear of not being accepted fear of not feeling like i belong fear of not a b c d e f g once i was able to let go of that we got down into some we got down into the the, the real nitty-gritty deep waters as we like to say we got down into the deep waters and we able, i was able to do a lot of good work <laughs> Has that been, what do you guys think about that? Because those moments give me a great deal of empathy for my clients. They actually sit with it and hear the hard thing reflected back to you and kind of squirm with it, right? Or maybe take a whole week, as you described, Caleb, before your next session to be like, nah, nah, and come back to that, okay. You know, it makes me think of our clients, right? We're presenting, um, possibility of things that maybe they've been running from for a long time or trying to distract themselves from yeah what has helped you what has helped you all um push through that initial discomfort or defensiveness or resistance in order to get down and do the deep work because i know you both very well i know you're doing the deep work i think at some point you got to just kind of go for it. You know, if you're, you have all this stuff holding back and it's eating you alive and it sucks and it's like, well, clearly what I'm doing is not working. So let's try something else. You know, everyone talks about how this vulnerability thing works, you know, let's just get outside of my comfort zone, you know, and you hear other people talking it and you hear that it's okay. Like you just, and sometimes you start small. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to do, do it a little bit and you do it and you kind of back up and it's like, okay, that wasn't, it was a little uncomfortable, but I'm safe now. Like, I'll be okay. And then it's just like, then you go bigger and then you go bigger and you go deeper. Like, you don't just cannonball into the deep end for a start. You know, it's like the tidal wave pool. It's like, you kind of walk your feet in and go, okay, this, I'm gonna, I'm fine. And then you like walk back and then you go up to your knees and then you walk back and then like, and you're doing it with someone else. You're not doing it on your own. I think is the helpful part, you know, that's what, you know, a therapist is there for, or if you have a good friend who can, like, sit there with it. But, like, I couldn't ever do this on my own. So having help and having guidance and having someone kind of push me a little bit, because otherwise I wouldn't want to do it. I needed someone to kind of have their hand on my back and be like, alright, keep going. It'll be okay. I'm here with you. We'll come back if it gets too much, but, like, keep going. Yeah. I love that description. That's huge. <laughs> it's a good analogy. I want to kind of generally yeah. put their hand on your back as you wade into deeper and deeper you know, water. That's yeah. I like that picture. 
Yeah, and they're not gonna like push my head underwater and hold me there. It's like, okay, we're gonna go to the water, and it's cold, and it sucks. I know, I'm here too, but it'll be okay. Like I just, I think I needed like the reassurance of, from someone going like, I have done this work. I know what you're feeling. It will be okay. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I trust you. You know, whoever it is. It's good. Yeah, Caleb, what about for you? Um. I think for me it was uh, I don't know why Michael Jackson is stuck in my head but it's like facing the man in the mirror the idea of the mirror is kind of a theme that's been very prevalent in my own personal work it's like okay who do I see in the mirror is the person I see in the mirror real or is he a version of myself that exists because of what other people are telling me? And how then do I pick apart those things? That's how, I think that's how I've been able to, to go through my own work and then recognize when my clients are going through it. Because there's almost like this moment where it kind of clicks and it goes, oh, I've been doing this thing because of this thing that happened over here. And I just kind of sit back and have that one, that little, little therapist smirk like, mm, yeah, what's that like? <laughs> they, my clients love and hate that. Like, you knew this was coming. I'm like, I didn't know anything was coming. You did the hard work. Yeah. But it is, it's, yeah. it's, it's cool to watch them cross that bridge. Uh, one of my supervisors says, um, therapy is building a bridge between hurt and healing. And I was just like, say that again, because... Ooh, that's deep. Mm -hmm. And it goes, yeah, think about it. Building a bridge is a process. And it, mm -hmm. it does become a point where the bridge is stable and you can walk on it and you can cross it. But therapy is the work of building said bridge. Because until the bridge is completed, you're kind of stuck on one side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That using that kind of analogy for, um, I became, you know, I never, I saw how certain actions that I was, you know, acting out in certain ways of being my own fear, my own hurts, not only would hurt other people, but in, in, in turn hurt myself. And I kind of reached this point where I was like, I don't want to hurt anymore. I don't want to hurt anyone anymore. So whatever I have to go through to, to accomplish that, I'm going to be willing to do ongoing to, you know, on a consistent basis, address whatever may be hindering my ability to not do harm. Mm -hmm. So it kind of became this mission statement or values driven thing for me of like, yeah, I'm going to learn some hard stuff. I'm going to have to face some hard realizations about myself, whether it be, you know, my my insecurities, my abandonment issues. That's another one that's coming up. That's a recent one. It's a new one that mm -hmm. hard realization for me of like, boy, I got you boy, I got abandonment issues. And, and that is showing up and hurting in minor ways, but still in ways like causing... You know these little cuts 
to my partner and it's just like oh that doesn't that doesn't feel good to to be like damn i got, I got a beta ministry like man um but whatever discomfort comes with a new realization about myself that may be hard to sit with pales in comparison to the discomfort that i know i would feel knowing that uh, my inability to work on those things is causing harm in the world so that that's kind of the motivation, I guess you could say that that I've stumbled upon for myself is like, I don't want to add to the hurt. There's enough of it. Yeah, and I think Jordan, while you were talking, and like even kind of what we've all hinted on is, you know, we've all recognized these things in ourselves, and then we kind of have that immediate reaction of like, I don't want to be like, I don't have that label because I don't want to be like those people, you know, the people with control issues or the abandonment issues or you know, the negative stuff, like, I don't want to be like them, but like, we're very normal, everyday, well-adjusted people who live successful lives. So you can be going through it like Caleb and also be have these things going on. Like if you have something that you're going through, you're, you're still a very normal person. We all experience these things. I think that's one of the big stigmas with like therapy. It's like you have to go, if you have something really, really, yeah wrong with you we all do that needs to be normal yeah i think i i think i really hear that and man i feel like so many people feel like oh therapy is only when things are really really bad my my my, my life is falling apart i'm having severe mental health issues um things have things have run course and they're not good Therapy can also be a preventative measure. Mm-hmm. Ther- uh, Jordan, if you'll permit me, one thing that you said to me when we were having conversation uh, as we were getting to know each other, like, hit me like a ton of bricks one day. He was like, as I'm, as I'm leaving one area of life and entering into a different area of life, I wanted to do therapy on the front end so I'm not walking into this new relationship with all these old hurts. And that was one of the first times that it clicked with me. I'm like, oh, therapy is also preventative as much as it is restorative. I think so much so often, and I want to speak to men in mental, Men's Mental Health Month, right? Therapy is absolutely restorative. It's great. It helps fix things. It helps you realize things. It also is preventative. It's like the invisible shield that protects you from running into a like a problem that you may not even know is there. It's a clarifying factor. It helps remove the wool from your eyes. Yeah. Damn, that's so good, bro. I'd add that it's also, I think of it like... Um, I think of it like a performance enhancement, right? Like, I'd like to think um, that when it comes to relationships and the the stuff that I observe, that from a relational standpoint, I'm performing in my relationship. Um, Me and my partner are doing the things that it takes to be in the top percentiles of, of health and functionality, right? We focus on good communication. We, we support one another. We're doing all these things. But I'm trying to like, I think therapy could also be like, hey, how can I go from 
85% to 88%, right? Like, to me, that falls into a whole different category. It's not even necessarily preventative nor restorative. You're doing well. You're passing grade. You're performing mm-hmm. at a high level. You may even be above average. But therapy, for me, can also be this thing that says, why settle for 85% satisfaction or fulfillment in your relationship when we can develop tools and ways of communicating and ways of interacting with one another or with self that can take your overall satisfaction and overall performance up a couple percentage points. You know? yeah. um, it could also be that. I think for men who tend to be real process-driven and performance-driven, you could use that to your advantage. Say why you know why settle for your E plus? Why not squeeze and maximize and optimize your experience to an A minus and take that into an A? You know, that's important yeah. to hear to hear too. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think just thinking of another analogy in case it really didn't stick with anyone else. I was thinking of like thinking of like yard work. You know. Sometimes you got like some dead grass, you got some weeds, like you got a dead tree in the back. It's like, okay, clear all that out, you know? And then you got to kind of like build from there. It's like, okay, I'm going to tend this. I'm going to make this a little bit better. And slowly over time, you have this like epic, beautiful Zen garden. It's like, look, I it took a lot of work and it took some time and like, you know, some money. But like, look at what I have now. This is great. It didn't look like this before, but like I did that. Yeah. Yeah. That That's such a... That's such a, I think for me and, and my clients, when they can get to the, I did that point, it's such a good feeling. And as a therapist, I like to like grab that feeling, snapshot it and hold on to it because there'll be times where they will forget the feeling of, I did that. And I can, I can, like I can just, you know, I would always, I always like to say I'm walking alongside my clients. I could tap them on the shoulder and be like, "Hey, let's let's pause real quick. You seem down on yourself. Let's can we can we look around and see see where we are? Do you see? Do you remember the dead tree that was there? It's gone now. You got a bush of roses over there now. You did that. I mean, there was some thorns in those roses. You had to you know trim those down. But like, that's a rose bush. You got to remember doing that. And they're like, "Oh yeah, I did do that." It's like, remember over here? Remember when we were at 88% and now you're at like a 91%? It's, it's only, it's only, a, it's a small difference, but like, look at you now. That's, 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 that's for me when the work, like the work gets really rewarding in like the deep waters when you can go there for the first time with the client. But when you can come up for air, and show them all the work that they've done. Because again, therapy is like, I think a lot of people come to therapy think we're going to give them advice on how to fix their life. And we're like, no, we're just going to walk alongside you as you do the work. And then when you get to remind them like, oh no, you're doing the work, but hey, by the way, look where we came and look at where we are. That That's also a very rewarding feeling for me as a therapist anyway. Yeah, and I think that's important to remember. I think my therapist, um, just told me today it's like sometimes we need to reaffirm the things that we've done right or are doing right versus just focusing on the negatives of like oh, i'm not doing this enough i'm not doing this i'm not doing that it's like you've done so much work 
like celebrate that because if you only focus on the negatives, like of course you're never going to live up to the standards. Yeah, we're we're on a roll with this, and and it was interesting. One of the last questions I was going to wrap on and end on was, you know, what should people who haven't been in therapy from a therapist who's been in therapy, you know, from that perspective, what would you want people to know? And I think we're already going on this. And and one of the things that I wanted to say that Caleb kind of sparked to me was this idea that like therapists don't give you advice, right? And so no one's, I've never told a client what to do, not once, not once have I told a client what to do in a session. Um, I'm, I like to think of it more like, me and my client are walking through a cave and I got the flashlight and I'm saying, we you shine it over here. Right. And they're, and they can say, yeah, yeah, let's look over there. I'm like, all right, cool. All right. What do you see? Or they can say, nah, I don't want to look over there. I go, you sure? I feel maybe there could be some useful things over there. And they can say, no. Like, all right, we're going to go where you're going, right? So I think that's important for people, especially men, to understand that, like, because I feel like in, in, in the world, we need correction so much. I heard, I saw a quote the other day, and it was talking particularly about black men. I think it could apply to all. It's like, but the quote was, and it was on social media, so take it with a grain of salt, but it's like, black men need corrected. Black men need correction. I'm like, we don't I think we have the answers we need someone to listen to us and can help us figure out the answers that I believe we already have we're just not looking in the right places or maybe we don't have time to look yeah and I think so- a lot of men view therapy as like oh, I'm gonna get told what to do by this person it's like no man we want to listen to you I've been listened to by, by my therapist who has been who's a woman that's another thing I think. Like, it doesn't always have to be someone who looks exactly like you, and maybe is coming from your exact walk of life. Like, oh no, I, I just I feel very strongly about that. And I wanted that to be a takeaway from this. Is like, at the end of the day, as you all said, you're gonna be able to look around as that client and say, "I did this," because you truly did. We just asked questions and encouraged you and offered opportunities to look in places maybe you didn't look before. But at the end of the day, you still gotta look. Yeah, that's that's very true. That's very true. And I think I, I've had experiences with my therapist who uh, I always make fun of my therapist. Not fun, like a poke fun. Like I'm like, my therapist could simultaneously play Jesus in the musical and start for the Phoenix uh, Suns as, as, as a number. Of, like he's six five, super long hair, super lanky, but look like he if he got if he got on a clean breakaway, you might be in trouble. But like, <laughs> He's always he go through it down. He's got this calm, relaxing, deep, very white like voice where I'm just like, bro, you need me a nighttime story. I'm about to go to bed. This feels calming and relaxing. <laughs> but like there have been times where we've had to navigate things like from my cultural background on multiple levels. Like, as a black man, how am I navigating this? And how am I how do I feel as a black man talking about this particular issue of race with an, with a white man? And then talking about, okay, this issue, I have to deal with it as a black man, but then I have to deal with it as an African man. And 
then, okay, so as an African man, as an immigrant, as someone who came to this country versus talking with someone who's born in this country and doesn't even understand things certain ways, navigating through some, navi- like, then we're both walking in, in the cave dark, right? And it's like, he doesn't have the flashlight because he hasn't experienced this. I don't have the flashlight. I don't experience it. But it's like, um, do you remember those potato sack races where it's like a three-legged race? <laughs> yeah. We're just kind of hobbling along together. And I think that's, that could be, that could be tough. But man, those, I remember some of those sessions. It's like being where I felt like, as you said, I really felt listened to. Cause like he was asking questions. Like, I feel like if I was, if I had an African therapist, the African therapist wouldn't even ask that question because they already know. Mm. So with similarity and sameness, like you, you, you experience different things. I've had to be like, oh, just because you're, just because you're black or you're Nigerian, don't assume that you know. Ask the question anyway. So as a therapist, that's when that's been my work. Just because I'm black or I'm a man or I'm Nigerian or whatever, I remind myself just because you agree or just because you are the same doesn't mean you know their experience. So ask them what they feel like anyway. And that's been really, really eye-opening for me. And my clients were like, oh, I would have assumed you knew. And I'm like, maybe I did know. But I wanted to hear from your perspective. They're like, you know what? No one's ever done that for me. Thank you. And then we go into the topic. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I think for me, I think the thing that I've always heard people like their version of therapy is like, if I start, everything is going to come up. And it's going to be too much. But, you know, the dam is going to break. And it's just, I'm not going to be able to, and like, you know, that's like their complaint. Whereas, you know, I've heard from some professors, it's like, you know, therapy is not breaking a dam. It's putting a spout at the bottom and opening up a little bit, open it up for 10, 30 minutes, a whole hour if you like it, and then turn it back off. You're really good at that. You spent these years breaking this dam. Like, we don't want to like blow up stuff in your life. I want to take stuff that's already there and already in place. What are you really good at? What works for you? What can we improve on? Like, we're not blowing anything up not changing your life in a big drastic way or making very small improvements over time. I think that's kind of what helped me. It was like, you know, I was hesitant to do the work and start doing these things and people just like, it's okay. We'll start small. We'll go really slow and just, you know, eventually we'll make a lot of progress and you know, drain a lot of the water and the dam will still be there whenever you need it. But you know, we relieve some of the pressure. Yeah. That's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, man, we were we were A1 today with the analogies. I love that. <laughs> um, I think that's a great place to end on. I appreciate both of you guys for sharing your your stories, sharing their perspective, for truly modeling and walking the walk and talking the talk when it comes to um, what it looks like, not only as therapists, but as men who are trying to lead by example, trying to create spaces where other men can come in and feel safe and maybe begin thinking about embarking on their own mental wellness journey. So I thank the both of you. Um, listeners, as always, new episodes of the podcast are going to come out every single Friday. Um, please like and subscribe. We are on Spotify. We are on Apple. We are on Anchor. We are on Google. Anywhere you get your podcasts, hit the like button. Uh, give us a five-star rating share this with a man in your life or a person in your life who you think would benefit that's the best way 
to invite people in into this community and into this journey. As always, I'm Jordan Lewis, Caleb Adegoke, and Dalen Bernie.